Debokotswane joins me on the line, investigative reporter at the Amapungane Center for Investigative Journalism. And uh, yeah, we talked to her about um, a report released over the course of the weekend uh, talking about the Namibian connection here in the stolen millions. Debokot, good evening and welcome. Good evening, and Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. Debokot, maybe give us some background. In 2020, uh, certainly according to your report here, um, you're suggesting that... You, communication with between yourselves and your counterparts in Namibia, you know, um, sort of was around the same issues that came out in the Arthur Fraser affidavit at Rosebank Police Station last week. And uh, you were quite shocked, uh, you know, by the uncanny similarity in the facts and how they were presented. And of course, his affidavit says more uh, than what uh, was in the public domain out in 2020. Let's start in 2020. What, what did your Namibian counterparts say to you? about uh, the allegations of what had happened at the president's farm, but also, I guess, uh, uh, what had come to light for the Namibian authorities. So in 2020, I think around June of 2020, we received news of um, a possible break-in that had taken place at President Ramaphosa's private home. Mm. And at the time, the details were that um, the burglary had been conducted by um, a gang of individuals, either of Namibian origin or who have links to Namibia, that had made away with um, millions in U.S. dollars um, that was apparently hidden in the furniture in the president's home. At this figure that we had... Um, from our Namibian counterparts was around 50 million rand then. Um, Namibian journalists um, had learned about this information from high-placed sources after one of the alleged suspects was caught trying to cross the border into Namibia mm. um, illegally. But at the time, we couldn't really corroborate that information. And when Fraser, um, the former spy boss, released his statement about laying a criminal complaint against President Ramaphosa for apparently defeating the ends of that justice, kidnapping and bribery, the details were quite similar to the information that we had received two years ago. Um, we, we then reached out to our Namibian counterparts um, following the release of that statement to just and were able to get hold of more information that pointed to a possible attempt as alleged by Fraser of a cover-up um, of the break-in and the theft and how it was seemingly investigated by members of the Presidential Protection Unit um, and in particular Mr. Wali Rueda. Mm. So then we, said, we, said, we went on to then try and just figure out what did the president know about how this matter had been handled and what did he do during when he then found out about it and whether or not he knew about um, the alleged cover-up and if he had been involved in the alleged cover-up and the reasons why. Because when we were told in 2020 about this break-in, um, Namibian authorities were apparently saying that they had been attempts by South Africans, by South Africa, to try and keep this under wraps because to avoid um, bringing into the light and also then some questions around why um, the president had so much money, so, so much sort of foreign currency on his farm in cash mm. and also avoiding the embarrassment of revealing the security breach um, at the president's home. Yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, 
surely some of your colleagues might be saying in Namibia, but guys, I mean, we, we told you this in 2020. What about what is coming out now is new? That's the one. And, and then I guess the other, I'm quite interested in your response uh, to uh, uh, the uh, president of Namibia's remarks earlier on today, uh, Haike Gaingob. And what is new is then South African officials would not um, confirm that the break-in had taken place. Mm. Um, what Fraser's affidavit then does is it puts into the it puts into the public sphere from someone who would have access to this level of information or who would know individuals that would have access to this kind of information. It fully confirms that this did take place and it forces the president as well as we saw after the release of um, the statement to also confirm that yes, indeed, it did take place. Um, and then from there on, it, bring, it then brings about questions as to why wasn't anything done to, um, to report this to the local police station? Why is it that the South African public is only finding out about this two years after the fact, also considering that the break-in takes place on the 9th of February, and a few days after that, the president has to um, present the State of the Nation address, and we don't hear a word from this. Um, Earlier on today, the Daily Maverick actually reported about the annual report into crime statistics Mm. that was released by the um, South African Police Service, where they say that they didn't experience any high-level um, VIP crimes in that period, which now we know to be untrue mm. because there had been a burglary at the president's home where millions in foreign currency mm. um, had been stolen and that we don't hear anything about it until someone who, particularly in this current political climate, has sort of a vested interest in um, seeing the sitting president's reputation um, tarnished or coming into question, um, Mm. especially because they themselves face um, allegations of impropriety and malfeasance during the time that um, Treasurer was the head of the state security Mm. agency. And we do know that in the in this month in June, we're supposed to get the last installation of the Zonda Commission report, and the SSA is expected to be um, one of, well, will be rather, because this is the final installation, one of the institutions that um, will be um, reported on in that report. It's interesting, um, though, that uh, you say that, uh, because, I mean, you know, even the... The, the presidency is saying, well, look, it wasn't like millions of, of U.S. dollar. Um, and I'm not clear if they're saying it wasn't in the, you know, um, magnitude of millions, but they're saying, well, it wasn't mm. four million U.S. dollars. Um, mm. And I guess, the, you know, the amounts here are neither here nor there. The, the big question mark, as yes. you say, is clearly this matter wasn't even picked up in the data of, um, you know, crimes relating to people who have... Uh, hectic amounts of uh, protection, um, you know, and uh, very, very important people, as as is often said. Uh, but talk to me about what happens after, uh, according to the reports that you heard then, and uh, I guess what you're piecing together now. What happens after uh, the break-in, um, insofar as this investigation is concerned? Yes, the flight into Namibia, we get that part. Uh, but uh, all manner of reports suggesting uh, a lot summarily happened. Tortures, bribes, um, spending sprees, and so on. So when we um, initially wrote our article, we didn't have access 
to um, Fraser's affidavit. We pieced together the information that we were able to receive from anonymous sources as well as um, Namibian officials. And what we then pieced together is that Namibian authorities had identified at least um, 6 million um, um, Namibian dollars, which is about 6 million rand, um, being transferred by the suspects um, into Namibian bank accounts between February of 2020 when the um, break-in occurs and May of 2020. At least three suspects are identified um, in this process. And... In, and one of these suspects then gets caught um, in June of 2024 um, trying to cross into Namibia illegally. And we see um, from the information that we received that Namibian authorities made attempts um, to get assistance from South African, from their South African counterparts to see what other money flows they were and to properly investigate this. And instead of that, we are informed that our officials did not cooperate and they tried to deal with this through sort of like back intelligence back channels and to ensure that we keep the matter um, quiet as because as I previously mentioned, there's this issue of the president storing large amounts of foreign currency on his farm and the matter of the security breach. What Fraser's um, affidavit then also reveals, um, now that it's out in the public, is even the president um, of Namibia was supposedly contacted by our president um, directly in dealing with this matter. And a further allegations of the fact that, um, at least from the snippets that we had initially seen um, being published on social media, that the... Uh, President's domestic worker was alleged to have been involved and that they were possibly um, illegally detained and and probed and interrogated in a way that was improper. Um, The president has come out and denied, obviously, that he had been involved in any form of impropriety or there was any criminal conduct um, with how he with how this matter was dealt. He has said that he reported it to the head of the PTU, um, which is the Presidential Protection Unit, Wally Rueda, and he has also said that the, he has justified the foreign currency as saying the money was from legitimate um, business proceeds. Um, we all are fully aware that the president deals in the high-end cattle as well as wildlife, and it's also not un, um, unusual for lots of money to flow from those kind of auctions for the kind of um, livestock that he um, deals in on his farm. But what we still don't understand and what's sort of like still murky and unanswered is sort of why did the transaction happen in cash and was this properly accounted for in line with sort of tax regulations and foreign exchange and the issue of why was it then not reported to the local police um, given that this burglary took place, yeah, sorry, Deborah, just on that, I mean, on the yeah. two issues. Is that unit that Major mm. General Ruder would lead, not a unit of SAPs? Maybe that's my question. And I guess, or would there be it a further is, um, requirement to go and go to a charge office and, and indicate that this has happened? And then I think the second one. Um, is, I mean, what you make of uh, the suggestion the, uh, the, the president is making, and I think he made it on the weekend at the mm. uh, provincial conference of the ANC in Limpopo, saying, look, sometimes we accept this money in cash, and uh, there's an obligation, I think, in the Exchange Control Act, exchange it with the authorized dealer within 30 days. Um, so, so it does seem, I guess, on the legal front, 
Um, I mean, you know, there is some communication, but I guess politics is not just only about the legal. No, certainly not. And I mean, yes, the Presidential Protection Unit is part of SAS, um, as far as I understand, sure. but that does not um, remove the obligation to make a formal complaint mm. um, if a crime takes place um, at a local police station so that the, um, the police can properly investigate the matter. Um, I don't necessarily think that now reporting it to the head of the PPU then um, creates or provides an opportunity for them to just conduct their own investigation outside of um, the SAPS framework sure, um, sure. that covers the rest of the country um, in totality. But also, on the, then the second issue that you mentioned about the fact that um, sometimes they do accept these transactions in cash, while it might not necessarily be implausible, it is interesting that a certain president, um, especially in operating in the kind of political climate that um, Ramaphosa is in South Africa, where we come from um, just a period where we, where South Africans have had to um, contend with a lot, a lot of issues um, that have to do with corruption and impropriety in terms of government officials and etc. would open himself up to the risk mm. of dealing in cash, particularly when you can't necessarily trace where that cash comes from. Um, with the people that you are trading with. And and also, we don't have the detail at the moment as to how long that money um, had yeah, been on the farm. Yeah, we yeah. also don't know um, how how is it that um, the farm actually dealt with um, whatever was not stolen um, from the farm, um, mm. or whatever, if any, if anything was recovered, whether or not this was still reported, um, either be true size um, or whatever relevant party would have had to know about this. And even if nothing had been recovered, we don't know if the president still reported the trade and the transaction, because that's not to say that it didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. And, and I guess, I mean, for me, I'm also then interested in, in the outreach you guys have made to, um, you know, these uh, fellows uh, with the Namibian link. Um, I think Namibian authorities flagged it and uh, asked for some uh, cooperation from the South African counterparts as soon as some of this loot ostensibly ended up in Namibian banks. Uh, talk to me about your thoughts on on that particular one and I guess uh, how that fits into uh, this entire story and even the latter allegations of back channels and uh, gold exchanges where the money was, um, you know, uh, converted and so on. Um, I don't think I particularly uh, understand your question. Can you just... Um, yeah, yeah. So, so, so I'm saying it seems a lot happened, right? It yes. might be the back channel comms between ostensibly South African law enforcement and Namibian law enforcement right mm. through to the allegations of what might have been bought with the loot or what might have been found. I mean, Tag Heuer watches and so on. Mm. Talk, so I'm quite interested, I guess, in what you've uncovered about what happened subsequent to the robbery. Um, well, what we 
do understand is the guy that was um, apprehended in June of 2020 spent quite some time um, in detention in Namibia whilst um, our authorities and Namibian authorities were going back and forth um, um, back and forth about this alleged break in whether or not these individuals had been involved and how to deal with it. Um, And in that period we see that um, some of these individuals were apparently buying cars, um, buying property. There's a guest house um, that is registered under one of the uh, under one of these guys, and one of and it, it, this is mentioned in the report um, from um, from the report that of the work that's been done by the Namibian authority. And while and nothing really happened from a South African perspective in providing assistance. Um, to the Namibian authorities, such that um, the guy that is arrested is subsequently released after he pleads guilty um, in December of that same year, and he's deported back to South Africa. And if you know, if for those who have gone through um, the the affidavit by Fraser and have looked um, to the social media accounts of these individuals. Mm. You see that a lot of them have been in South Africa and living it up. Mm. And it's not necessarily clear with which funds, because claims are in Fraser's affidavit that some of this money had been recovered. So um, it's not clear how it is that they are um, able to afford the kind of lifestyles um, that they live. But this is all happening on in South Africa, and despite the fact that, and despite the fact that our authorities have the knowledge of who these individuals are, did you reach out to uh, Major General Wally Rueda? Yes, um, we did, just to get clarity as to exactly what happened from his side. But unfortunately, he said that. Um, Police um, media protocols obviously don't allow him to talk to the media, and he would like for us to wait for the investigation that's now currently underway um, to inform the public as to exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think it's interesting that then the president had asked him to investigate, and we don't get the details of what the outcome of that investigation yes. is. Instead, two years down the line, we're being told that a new investigation has to take place. I must say, Tebuko, I can't help but, um, you know, a lot of people are talking about the timing of this, right? Um, Mm. But I I seem to think whenever it would have come out, it it would certainly have been inconvenient, not just for the president, but uh, presidential protection staff and the entire security Mm. apparatus around him. Um, most certainly, but I don't think that um, while at any other time when a sitting president is accused of having been involved um, in anything as um, as sort of criminal as um, kidnapping, um, unlawful detaining, um, possibly um, giving instructions for um, bribes to be issued out to the um, victims of that kind of action, that would not bode well for any sitting president, um, more particularly not a sitting president who has um, gotten into office and on sort of this ticket of being the broom that keeps clean and um, trying to reinstill a confidence, um, particularly into the leading, um, the ruling party, where many 
of the members in the executive and many of their senior members have been accused of this um, large-scale corruption across um, all levels of government. That does not look great. But when you think about the fact that we are going towards an elective conference mm. and what the implications now currently, um, as we've seen with how other members of the ruling party that have been charged um, with criminal cases or have, have had to sort of step aside from their positions um, until those cases are dealt with, the Concept, um, the implications for something such as this, and mm. particularly if there is some truth to it, and there is, and the the and president is implicated um, in any of sort of like the um, criminal conduct that that have happened, the implications of that are quite um, leading up to the relative conference um, for the ruling party in December. And then also when you consider the fact that we're seeing a lot of high-profile arrests at, at the moment, we've, we've come towards the end of the Zondo Commission, um, which is supposed to then be sort of a catalyst for further investigations, either by the NPA or the Hawks, um, into some of these um, issues that were highlighted at the Zondo Commission. The person who is in office and who has oversight over that process um, is critical um, mm. in, 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 in South Africa. And when and we also then understand just the kind of... Um, we understand that, you know, the ANC will still sort of be in power um, after the 2024 um, elections. And then by implication, this means that Cyril Ramaphosa, who's currently the only presidential candidate running um, within the ANC's um, internal elections, is most likely going to be president at the time. Um, there are no other plausible sort of candidates for um, the presidency within the ANC, um, especially when you think about just the public perception of some of the senior members of the ANC at the moment who could be considered um, people that in the past had been considered people that would be possible candidates for um, the presidency. It, it does have sort of... Over, sort of long-term consequences about how we're going to see the consequence management process and the accountability process take place um, over the next few years after um, the corruption investigations have been concluded, at least from a Zondo Commission perspective. Yeah, hey, Deboho? I have to leave it here for tonight. I know, I know this is not certainly the last time I'm going to be talking to you about this particular one. Uh, it, um, you know, somebody was saying on the SABC earlier on today, when we look back on this particular moment, um, the latter part of May and early parts of June 2022, mm-hmm. um, she's, she wouldn't be surprised if we think of it as a watershed moment, uh, not just for the political fortunes of uh, President Ramaphosa now in relation to December, but also might mm-hmm. uh, give uh, some fodder to those uh, who might, um, even in his second term as president of uh, the ANC, if indeed that happens, uh, might give them some fodder to try and... Uh, push for him not to complete that term, which is certainly what has become quite familiar in the ANC. But let's leave it there for tonight. As always, a pleasure catching up with you. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you.